You're listening to the Product Podcast from Product School, featuring the best product leaders from Silicon Valley and beyond. If you're an aspiring product manager looking for your first PM role, or an experienced PM looking to level up your skills and advance your career, visit productschool.com to learn about our certifications and how we'll get you there. If you want to build products customers love, you need to spend time connecting with their problems. That's where Dovetail can help. Dovetail enables product managers to identify themes, patterns, and insights in their customer interviews, helping them to make better, data-informed decisions about what solutions they should build next. Organizations the world over, like Atlassian, Canva, Nielsen Norman Group, Datadog, GitLab, Sketch, and Deloitte use Dovetail to build better products. Dovetail is free for as long as you need. Sign up at dovetailapp.com. Today, we're talking tools and techniques, and specifically the process of product discovery with Zalando Senior PM, Teresa Alvarez. Product discovery answers two key questions that PMs face when building to solve user problems. Stay tuned to learn how to structure your thought process to start solving problems the right way for your customers. Hello, my name is Teresa Alvarez. I'm Senior Product Manager at Zalando, and I want to talk about product discovery today. You may be wondering why if my biggest passion is data, why I'm talking about product discovery today, right? And there are two main reasons why I'm doing this. Um, first is that product discovery answers two of the key questions that any product manager needs to answer, which is what is the most important problem to solve and how to solve it in the best way possible. Then second question, uh, second reason why I'm talking about product discovery is that it's a very messy process and very chaotic. I totally agree with Teresa Torres when she says in, in her webinar that there is no single way of doing product discovery. I totally agree with that. However, I've been learning some tools and techniques along the way that can give a bit of a structure to this process and make this process a bit more understandable. And that's what I want to share with you today. So you take whatever it works um, in your case. I'm sure you have seen this. This is one of the best known frameworks for product discovery. There are many others. We have the 4Ds, for example, which is define, discover, design, deliver. This is actually what we use in Zalando. But I think that no matter which framework you use, there is always the same idea for our frameworks that you have a problem space and a solution space, right? Problem space where you actually research in depth what the, the issues that you are trying to solve. And then the solution space where you ideate, prototype, test, and iterate the potential solutions to that those problems. And after this, then you can actually start developing your product. So let me take the backbone of this framework. And then again, as I said before, show you some tools and techniques that worked uh, for me in the past. So the first phase is defining the goal, right? The goal, that's super obvious uh, sentence. I was wondering not to put this here, to be honest, but uh, I think it's something useful to, to remember. It should be an outcome, never an output. So for example, creating users and account for users, that's a feature or a product, right? But that's not an outcome. Why you want to create an account for users? That may be an outcome, right? Maybe you want to reduce churn and you think that you can achieve it by creating an account for users. 
Okay, but your goal is reducing time. Creating an account for users is in the solution space. Then uh, it needs to be a product outcome, not a business outcome. Again, that's super obvious, but if someone comes to you and say, we need to increase revenues. Okay, but that's not something that they can directly impact. Or in other words, it's something that is impacted by many other variables that are out of the scope of product. For example, marketing campaigns, uh, how much do you charge for your product? So this is not product outcome. What you can do is to see what um, other metrics are correlated with this one, right? And maybe you see that user engagement is one of the main ones that if we move a bit the needle for this one, then we will get higher revenues or user lifetime value or again, reducing turn or whatever you figure out that is the best metric that correlates with, with this one. So let me illustrate um, the process with an example. This is not something 100% real. I changed a lot of details and I invented things because of privacy reasons. But uh, imagine that we are working for a telehealth company and the CEO of the company comes to us and says, we have a, profitable, a profitability issue. We are losing money per consultation. The cost per consultation is higher than what we get per consultation. Okay, that's fine. But then we know cost per consultation, decreasing cost per consultation cannot be our goal, right? Because this depends on other things. For example, how much you pay doctors, which is something that we don't have um, the power of influence, right? So what other things are correlated with this one in the cost per consultation, for example, maybe the consultations per hour that a doctor ha can handle, right? You pay doctors per hour, more consultations will mean, will mean um, that we will be more uh, profitable. So that's our goal, increasing consultations per hour. Now, how do you start researching um, this problem? You don't get as many consultations as you should per hour. Why? And this is where I always like... I think this is one of the most difficult parts of the user research, of the user research, or the, the product discovery is facing this blank page, like where to start. And I always start by the same thing. It's mapping the user journey. So talking, talking, talking with people, as many people as possible. First, you identify your users. Here we have patients and doctors, but it's not only that, right? We have many other stakeholders. How do you know? Because you start talking to them and you start mapping this journey. So the different activities that users need to do since the appointment starts, uh, the, the patient schedules the appointment in this case until the consultation takes place. And then as you are talking to them, you are figuring out one of the most important parts of the user journey, which is how they feel about the different steps, right? And this is where you can start identifying the main pain points, the main things that can influence, that maybe influence your goal. And maybe here, for example, we discovered that one of the main problems that we have and why doctors are not achieving the consultations per hour that they should is because some patients don't answer the call. So no shows, right? That the doctor calls, but the patient never answers. And one thing that can happen is that why patients don't answer, right? It may be because the patient can no longer make it. Um, or it may also be because uh, clinicians are sometimes late, right? The previous patients took longer than it should. And then they can uh, they call the patient late and the patient can no longer answer the phone. 
I feel that one very useful, another very useful tool here is the five whys, like asking five times why, and then you are more likely to get to the root cause of, of each of the, of the pain points. Another important output here that I would say in this phase is the um, stakeholder map. So talking to users gives you the possibility of discovering more and more roles that can be involved in this process. For example, in our example is patients, doctors, but also customer service, uh, admin staff, uh, operations staff that handles the doctor's agenda. Okay, and then you have this stakeholder map in which you know who needs to be informed, who needs to be involved in the decision-making along the project. And that's very useful in that phase, in this phase. Then after you identify these pain points, then you do the quantitative research, right? That's for each issue, how important are they? It may happen that, for example, no-shows is just 1% of consultation, so they don't have an impact. Or it may happen that no-shows is like 40% of consultations, then it's one of the main problems, right? So you need to figure out uh, how much each problem impacts our, our main goal, right? Our main metric here, which is basically consultations per hour. This is, if you're a data freak like me, you can do this yourself, I'm sure, uh, by analyzing data, but I highly recommend you to get the support from an analyst because it's there is a lot of work in this process. You will need to talk to a lot of people and there is very limited time that you can allocate actually to do data analysis. Data can be very big, very messy, and it's always very, very useful if you can get the support of an analyst. And then the last point of research, once you identify the problem and how important they are, is to figure out how others are solving these problems, right? And then you can look at direct competitors. In our case, will be other telehealth companies. But it can also be other things, such as, for example, physical clinics or other companies that have nothing to do with medicine, but also may have the problem of no-shows, for example, Uber, right? So it's very useful in this phase to open up uh, the mind and see all the possible like yeah, alternatives, because that is going to be very useful for the ideation sessions to get inspiration. Product managers spend a lot of time talking to customers. Dovetail helps turn those conversations into better product decisions. With a highly accurate transcription engine and a suite of powerful analysis tools, thousands of product managers use Dovetail to make better, data-informed decisions about what solutions they should build next. Organizations the world over, like Atlassian, Canva, Nielsen Norman Group, Datadog, GitLab, Sketch, and Deloitte, Use Dovetail to gain a greater understanding of their customers and build better products. Try now for free at dovetailapp.com. Okay, after you know the problems and you have researched them, then you need to select the ones that you want to focus on, right? And I always look at these three variables. What's the business value? What drives the most business value? What drives the most user value? And what is feasible? This is pretty obvious again, but super important because it may happen, for example, that we see that we are allocated too much time to appointments, right? Most appointments are done after seven minutes and why we are allocating 15 minutes, right? We may have more appointments scheduled per hour, but that would um, make users happier 
don't think so, right? Like patients and doctors, if they need more time, they will be in a hurry all the time. And that doesn't drive user value. It drives business value, but not user value. And it may not even be feasible because maybe, I don't know, by law, imagine that you need to allocate 15 minutes per appointment. And, and that's something that you cannot change. So, so these three um, variables are quite important here. Imagine that we select this um, no-shows problem. We have wasted time associated with this and we want to reduce it. Okay, after we chose our problem, then we need to uh, do multiple ideation sessions, right, with the stakeholders. Well, multiple or one, whatever uh, was for you. In the past, I've done more than one usually because with different people to get different feelings. But it also depends on the time you have and, and the time that others have. Uh, there are multiple things of running these ideation sessions. I highly recommend Jake Knapp's book. It's a design, sprint design, how to build products in five days or something like that. Um, he has a lot of tips and tricks on how to organize these workshops. I usually use the agenda that I put here, but again, uh, I also change it depending on the people that we are going to have in the, in the room. So it's, uh, this is very open. One thing to consider is that whatever you were doing for the physical setup will not work for the remote setup, right? Um, if, for example, you were doing two hours of workshop, then a break, then another two hours, now people would get tired in, the, in Zoom or Skype or whatever you are using. Like they will not um, be able to keep all the, the focus for the four hours. So you need to rethink a bit how, how you do the, these sessions. Another important thing to get in mind to uh, take into account for, for the ideation sessions is that there are two types of problems. Friction problems, and other problems. I recommend a TED talk from Dan Ariely. He's a behavioral expert, and he this is the way they call they call the problems like friction problems. For example, are the problems that imagine that you want to people to recycle more, right? And you do the uh, user journey mapping, and you realize that people has to work three kilometers to to recycle. That's a friction problem, right? You just need to bring the container closer to them and it's very likely that their recycling rates go up. But what if they don't? What if users have all the environment of the setup to do something, but they don't do it? And this is the other types of problems which are not friction. These, these are not very obvious problems. These are ambiguous problems. And what Dan Ariely says is that you need to think broader, broader in the system to figure out people's inner motivations, right? It's not just about giving people information, like telling them that please recycle is good for the planet will not change their behavior. You need to find what are the inner motivations are in order to change this behavior. And that's why I really like this example that I have here in this image, because this was an experiment that was done and the goal here was to make people use the stairs, prefer the stairs instead of the escalator, right? Because that's healthier for them. And what they did to achieve that is building this piano in which when, as you are walking, the, it um, has sounds, it plays music, right? 
And it's very fun to see uh, people going up and down in the stair, uh, like playing music with their, with their feet. And, and this is like a very clear example on, for example, they didn't put a banner and say, please take the stairs because it's healthier for you. They say how we can make this fun. So people actually prefer to take the, the stairs, right? And, and I think these ambiguous problems and not obvious solutions is why it's so important to prototype, test, and iterate, right? Which is the, the next phase. Once you do the ideation session and you get ideas and you pick ideas to test, these are hypotheses, right? You need to frame them as hypotheses. Otherwise, you will stick to them or you will mar marry them too soon and you need to like think as a scientist like that's not something that we are going to build we don't know yet that's a hypothesis that we have and we need to test that it actually works so um, for example for the consultations case we can say that we believe that they will go up if we assign doctors and patients dynamically at the appointment time so doctors don't, lo don't longer have a fixed agenda they they just, there is a queue of patients in which they just call the next patient. And if the next patient doesn't answer, they call the next one, right? And that's all. Like we, we didn't focus on the no-shows, reducing the no-shows because there will always be no-shows. And we cannot, like there were other attempts before in the company to, to reduce this, but they cannot be reduced to zero. What we do is that we eliminate the wasted time associated to the no-shows. So we avoid no-shows being something that impacts profitability. But again, that's a hypothesis, right? That we need to test, make sure that uh, it doesn't damage users' experience, that users are fine with it, and we actually meet the goal that we want. And how we do that, there is the conventional way of doing it, is you have a designer involved in this whole discovery process in which he or she um, prototypes something, and you test it with users in user research, or a better way of doing it, and a way I like most, is doing a pilot or a proof of concept, which is actually simulating the real setup on how the users, like how the solution will work in the, in the future. So users are actually feeling that they are in the, in the real, in our case, in the real consultation, right? And... Yeah, and that can give us much more insightful results on how, how the solution impacts our, our key metrics. Uh, there is a good article from Nielsen that says that up to five users, after five users, when you prototype and test in the conventional way, after five users, you will find the same patterns over and over or very similar patterns. And, and I have to agree with it because that's true. I always test with something between six, seven users, and that is usually enough. If you are seeing that you still find new things after the six, seven user, then you need to keep going until you figure out that you are not finding anything relevant anymore, right? Good. And then um, to finalize this, once you have your product, your solution defined, and it tested well, you get the uh, outcome that you are looking for, then your product strategy is defined, right? You know the solution, what you want to achieve with it, and you can start development. But before starting actual development, 
the whole team of developers and maybe project manager or whoever needs to is in your team, they may not have been involved in all the discovery process and you need to onboard them, right? There is a phase that I call the transition phase that I um, like to do with my team to in order to onboard them and also to make sure that we like this broad idea of the solution that we want to go for, like detail it a bit more, right? Chunk it in different epics and milestones and, and prioritize the features that you want to get, have. So for this, um, to achieve this, I have here like three main things that I like to do, which is user story mapping with the whole team, prioritization sessions to make sure which features at the most value with the least effort, and then the risk and development and dependency assessment with stakeholders, which is actually very useful. I would like to explain this more in detail, maybe in another talk, but um, yeah, the, I would say that's all and development should start at this point. And don't forget about doing continuous research. This is a cliche, but it's actually your product will change when you are developing it. It will change over and over and over and you need to make sure that it didn't change that much and your users still like it and, and it's still meeting meets the, the purpose, the initial goal. Great, so if you are interested in any of the references that I quoted here, you can you can um, search them in the in the web. And um, yeah, that's all. Thank you. And please send me any questions or any like um, things that you don't agree with me or I would be very happy to, to start a discussion and a conversation about product discovery. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the product podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, it would mean the world to us if you would rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Taking the time to write just a few sentences about what you love most about the show will help us improve it and reach even more product people around the world. And when you're done, why not reward yourself with some free product management content and resources over at productschool.com. Until next time, stay product-led.